on the record button, finally. Uh, it's the period of Israel's transition from a theocracy to a monarchy, okay? Where they follow, follow God versus following a, uh, you know, earthly leader um, that is supposed to lead them in a godly way. Um, but so we have some, you know, the, uh, so we see this that, uh, well, let me, sorry, got, got ahead of myself. I shouldn't have put that screen up yet. Um, so the outline of First Samuel, um, which we'll, we'll actually get to here in a second, um, because it goes through it all. There's like eight different things. But uh, the book of First Samuel begins in the Judges period. So we're at the end of the Judges period, uh, and we learn that everybody did right in what? Their own eyes, right? They just decided, this is right, this is my right, that is your right, my right may be different. In other words, there's no foundation of, of what is right and wrong. So that was going on. The tabernacle was, was in Shiloh, where Joshua divided up the, the land amongst all the different tribes. Um, you know, the nation lacked good political leadership, and they lacked good spiritual leadership at the same time. The major powers near, uh, you know, in the ancient Near East, like Assyria, Babylon, um, Egypt, and others were in decline. And they posed no real major threat to Israel. The only ones that were uh, showing a potential problem were the Philistines, who were, uh, I hate to, Indo-European, I guess is what you would call it. They, had tr they, were, they were ocean traveling people, okay? And they'd come over from uh, the European descent, coming over from Europe, and they settled along that Judean coast. Um, so when you, you, the Philistines are old, are not, have nothing to do with the Palestine of today. They try to equate themselves, Palestine, Palestinians today, which are actually Jordan, mostly Jordanian descent, okay? Um, some Egyptian, but mostly Jordanian. They try to equate themselves back to the Philistines, saying we were here in this land, blah, blah, blah. But that is not truth, okay? Uh, just so you know that. Um, so God's people found themselves fighting the Philistines and a few other small groups. And they struggle with this important issue of how can they present themselves as a united front against those that are attacking them, okay? So the book of 1 Samuel relates the whole story of how the Israelites attempted to solve the problem. And they did it by crowning a king, right? Let's put a king in there. So we don't know who wrote 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. Um, originally in the Hebrew Bible, they were one book. And in the lack of a better term, the English Bible, the, you know, starting, uh, uh, you know, when they started putting together the Bible, uh, they divided it up into two different books, but the Hebrew Bible still has it as one book. Uh, but we don't know um, who wrote it. Many of the stories write like they were eyewitness accounts, um, but again, it wasn't just one person that we can put their name down. First uh, Samuel, Second Samuel, the uh, the book, uh, the name Samuel is kind of almost like a, a tribute to Samuel and what he meant and how, uh, what, a, what a godly man he was. So it seems like they named it that uh, from that standpoint, if that makes sense. So um, there's several themes uh, when it comes to uh, the uh, first Samuel. First off, we have Samuel's ministry. The judges period kind of featured uh, the sin and corruption going on. 
and the evil, uh, you know, that that was happening within even the priesthood of Israelites uh, under the, you know, the leadership of Eli and his two sons, Hopni and Phinehas. And we'll talk about that a little later. But Eli's sons used the, the sacrificial system for personal gain. The Lord allowed the priests certain um, um, certain things that they could do. Like when there was a sacrifice done to the Lord, they could stick, you know, there's a pot of meat. They could stick this, this forked thing into the pot of meat and whatever stuck to it, then that was their meal and stuff. Well, they were kind of uh, playing the system and getting more than they should. In other words, uh, for that personal gain. And that, that hopped over into money issues and, and multiple different areas. It wasn't just uh, about eating. Um, but they also uh, c- committed a lot of different types of sins that are listed. I won't go into those. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, so I won't go into all those sins, but you can read about them in there. And the book of 1 Samuel kind of describes how Samuel rose to prominence in Israel and how God judged Eli's house and established Samuel as the new spiritual leader over Israel. And he served faithfully. He served honestly and he he really sought out what was best for for the people from god and he wanted that so the second part uh, the second uh, theme is saul's reign and this was the beginning of the kingship of israel the people became restless under samuel's leadership Uh, even though he was a godly man they didn't want to follow him and they feared the philistines they feared all these external threats and they really looked at other nations and they said, well, how do they handle them? Well, they got a guy in charge. That's how. They don't have to go running to God, you know, uh, to figure out what to do. They have a man who can make a decision right then and there. And that's what they really wanted. So they asked for one. And Israel did receive that king. Um, but it, the text is very clear that it was not God's plan for them to have a king. And he warned them uh, through Samuel about what would happen. And all those things did happen. You know, he said, they would take your firstborn to serve in the army. That's what happened. He's going to tax you and take your money. And he's going to raise those taxes. Well, guess what? That's what happened. There's multiple things that happen along that way. But God's selection of Saul started a kind of a new period in Israel's history. A centralized power that rested in the hands of, of one man, the king. And the, you know, the rise of the Israelite monarchy also marked the end of Israelites' theocracy, of relying on God. Uh, they had lived under the direct leadership of Yahweh, the heavenly king, the direct leadership of that. Uh, he, pr- you know, he provided for them. He protected them all the way up to this point, but they still wanted an earthly king. And after they got an earthly king, they said, well, we'll still follow the Lord. Yet, did they follow the Lord? No, they didn't. They kept going, you know, following the earthly king, whether he was doing things right or wrong. And this leads to the third theme, and is David's rise to providence uh, or prominence. Um, Saul experienced some success as, a, you know, as Israel's military leader. There was a few times where he had that success. He showed himself, uh, but he showed himself unworthy of the kingship because of his heart he kept disobeying the lord's commands and the lord kept saying if you keep doing this i'm going to take your kingship away and that's what he did so the lord uh you know instructed samuel to go down to bethlehem to anoint um a new man that god had chosen to become king 
uh, of Israel, the next king. So Samuel anointed David, and this is really cool. They have uh, one of the, it's kind of pixelated because it was a small picture to begin with. But this would have, uh, it's a ram's horn, and it's uh, one that would hold oil and stuff. And this was the kind they would break open the horn, and they would pour it over the head to anoint someone. And this is what uh, Samuel would have used, something similar to this, um, to anoint uh, David uh, a young, you know, Judean shepherd uh, from Bethlehem. And this anointed uh, anointing did not make David king yet. It only affirmed him as Saul's successor. Uh, but by God's leading, David's fame began to increase, okay? Not only in Saul's uh, court, uh, his, you know, in the castle or whatever you want to call it, but also um, he became a capable, you know, military leader defeating, uh, you know, the giant uh, Goliath and leading Israel's army. But with success comes the pitfalls of Saul becoming jealous, right? When you have somebody else that comes on board after you and they start doing great things, you're like, but wait a second. What about me? I've been doing some of these things, but they're, they're like outpacing you. So this is what happened to Saul. And the story of Saul's jealousy plays out in the pages of 1 Samuel. So let's look at the, the messages of 1 Samuel. And like I said, there's a whole bunch of different areas, uh, and, and we'll try to uh, uh, cover it here pretty quick. But uh, uh, the first 15 chapters is a period of transition. You have Saul's, or Samuel's birth and his call. And his story begins in, in Shiloh. Uh, in the hill country of Ephraim and Israel was, you know, divided, uh, you know, the land up and Joshua's day and, and established a tabernacle. And the, the text describes two families, the family of Elkanah and the family of Eli. And Elkanah, a Levite from the hill country of Ephraim, had two wives. And again, we've talked about this. It's never good to have multiple wives, okay? Um, and I'm not saying that about women. I'm just saying it's never good. Um, why the Lord allowed it at that time, we're not completely sure. Um, but the Lord has definitely said one man, one woman uh, in the scriptures later on. So uh, you have uh, Peninia, uh, or I'm saying that name wrong, but uh, had children while Hannah had none. And this kind of led to that rivalry between the two wives. And Hannah went to Shiloh and she prayed. She went to the temple and prayed, and vowing to dedicate, uh, if she were to have a baby, um, dedicate him to be a, a Nazarite, um, which, you know, which uh, would be given over to the Levites um, to serve God. Okay, God answered her prayer and she conceived and bore Samuel. Uh, today, it's kind of interesting. Many women still frequent Shiloh to pray as, you know, for a child as Hannah did. So uh, that's one of the things that they have a church there and they go and they, and they pray for that. It's kind of an interesting, cool little uh, thing that, that continues to happen. But uh, after Hannah, um, uh, you know, after little Samuel grew up, she brought him to Eli. So Samuel grows up under Eli's tutelage, his care, and God began to reveal his purpose to this young man. But on the other side, you have Eli's sons who continue to sin. And an unnamed man of God announced God's judgment on Eli's house that both Hopni 
and uh, Phineas would die on the same day and that God would bring up a faithful priest who would obey God's command. We see this in chapter two. And the Lord took steps to raise up Samuel as this faithful priest. And he called Samuel. Uh, and, and you know, everybody know the story of Samuel where he's laying down and the Lord calls him and he gets up and he runs to Eli and he goes, what, what? And Eli goes, I didn't call you. Go back to bed, you know? And he goes back to bed, and all of a sudden he's called again. And he finally figures it out it's the Lord. And he goes, Eli goes, go and listen to God. And that's what Samuel did. Um, so yeah, I think this is interesting that uh, Samuel's reply is, speak for your servant is listening. And we should be ready to respond to God when he speaks to us. Today, most of the time, how does he speak to us? Through a scripture. Okay? Through a scripture. Now, can he speak to you through prayer? Yes. Okay. Can he speak to you like out of a voice? Yes. Do I believe that God is out there talking to everybody's ear? No. Okay. I'm very leery when people come up and say, well, God told me. And I want to say, okay, but has God confirmed that through anybody else yet? Because there's some people that God's always telling them stuff. And I'm like, okay, maybe that's true. But I want to see it confirmed through somebody else first before I totally 100% believe that God told them that. Um, and God can do that. So I'll just leave that at that. We can talk about that more at a uh, later stage. But I want to talk about the ark. The Philistines, and these is chapter 4 through 7, the Philistines established themselves in this Judean coastline. And they controlled uh, basically the international coastal highways. Uh, you, you had the, the highway going down there to be able to go to Egypt and all that kind of stuff. You had the ocean going, coming over and splitting off, going north up to Syria and going south down. All that stuff was going on right there. And basically they controlled that and they were trying to cut Israel in half. So the Israelites kind of moved to stop them and they gathered their army together at Ebenezer about two miles away from Aphek, however you want to say it. And the Israelites, they went and they lost their first battle. So then they went back and they decided, okay, we got to figure out a new way to, uh, to beat these guys. And somebody goes, hey, hey, remember how the Israelites took the ark? And the ark was in front and they always won? Go get the ark. And that's what they did. They ran and got the ark and they carried the ark into battle. What happened? They lost the ark. <laughs> you know, they go into battle. The Lord didn't ask them to do that. The Lord didn't tell them to do that. And the Philistines won and they captured the ark. And lo and behold, Hopni and Phineas, who should have known better than to go get the ark and use it for this purpose, were both killed on that day. Now, there was a couple of indirect casualties. Eli, he heard the news, heard that his sons died. He fell over out of his chair and he broke his neck and died. Okay. Then the wife of Phineas died in childbirth um, because she, her, uh, the, the baby came prematurely when she heard the traumatic news and then she had complications and she passed away. So you had those indirect casualties from the sin of Phineas and um, uh, Hopney. So the Philistines brought the ark, their new trophy, um, and they were like, hey, this is great. We're going to put it in front of our, our god, Dagon, and, 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 you know, to show these Israelites 
Well, the next morning they wake up and the god Dagon is laying down in front of the ark as in the god is worshiping the true god. Okay, so they put it all back up and it happened again. And then all of a sudden these plagues were happening, tumors and, 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 and all this kind of stuff against the people of Ashdod and God's judgment lasted for seven months. These people put it up, put up with this for seven months uh, tumors and mice following the ark wherever the Philistines sent it, uh, sent it because finally a city would say, well, we don't want it. Let's send it over that city. And then we take it over to that city and it would all happen over there in that city. So the Philistines finally decided, let's return the ark to Israel, okay? So they devised a plan to make it appear like the plagues were just kind of coincidental, you know, and they put the ark on a cart and hitched two, um, you know, milk cows to it that had never pulled a cart. And they basically, in a sense, were testing God. They said, well, if it goes toward Israel, we'll know that God, you know, their God really did this. If these two animals stop and they go off this way, that way, we'll know it's not God uh, causing, you know, the, the Israelite God uh, causing this and so forth. But the, <laughs> the cows, they marched directly to, to Beth Shemesh. Uh, and then when it arrived, everybody started celebrating. So we have all these in the travels of the ark. Um, you kind of see where it went around to, to different places there. Unfortunately, the people of Beth Shemesh failed to show the proper respect for the ark. Okay, The Philistines, they didn't know what kind of respect was supposed to be there. So God didn't judge them. I mean, he, he caused the, the tumors and all that, but we know that if you touched the ark, what happened? Well, <laughs> you were going to get, you know, struck down dead, okay? He didn't do that to the Philistines because they, they weren't under the same um, rules in a sense. They didn't know better. So God didn't judge them like that. But um, in Beth Shemesh, it was a Levitical city. It was a city of the Levites, the whole bunch of priests, they should have known the scriptures. So in response, God set a plague on the city, and then they, they sent the ark out to uh, Kareth, uh, Jeremiah, or however you want to pronounce that, and it remained there for 20 years. God, then Samuel comes to the people and calls them to forsake their idols and turn back their hearts to the Lord. So when the Israelites did, uh, Israelites did this, God allowed them to defeat the Philistines. And Israel recovered the territory they'd lost earlier from the Philippines. And this shows that the faithfulness to the Lord brings a blessing. Unfaithfulness to God brings what? Curses. Okay? So when we remain faithful to the Lord, we're going to be blessed in many different ways. Okay? Uh, just a kind of a, an extra bonus, if you want to call it that. So um, the next one is... Uh, Saul becomes Israel's first king, and this is chapters 8 through 12. Uh, Samuel judged Israel faithfully, but the sons did not follow his example, you know. And uh, when Samuel grew old, the people approached him and said, We want a king, appoint a king. And Samuel hesitated to grant the people's request. <coughs> and the Lord said, You know what? They're going to keep asking. They're going to keep asking. Go ahead and give it to them. Give them what they want. And I think this is something we don't realize sometimes. Sometimes we're like, God finally blessed me. He gave me this. And it's like, no, he just finally letting you have what you want. And he knows what the result's going to be. You know what I mean? So you got to be careful what you're asking for and how often you ask for it. Make sure it's something that God wanted. And he, he also told Samuel, by the way, they haven't rejected you. Don't feel bad. 
They've rejected me, not you. Um, so he told them all the things that would happen. And the Lord chose Saul, man from the tribe of Benjamin, to be Israel's first king. He was a tall, you know, like a foot taller than everybody else. He really looked, I mean, he, he looked like a king. You know what I mean? You have those people that walk in the door and everybody just goes, hey, so-and-so's here. And everybody's attracted. I mean, this was Saul, you know. Uh, they had a big, huge formal coronation, um, you know, when he was anointed king. And the Amorite, uh, the, uh, then the Amorites threatened uh, one of the towns, Jabez Gilead. And Samuel gathered the army together and went out and defeated them. What a great thing. Become king, you go out, your first battle, what happens? <coughs> Victory, right? And the people affirmed Saul as king. Uh, when he came back, they're like, okay, yeah, he really is our king. And they had a big party and all that kind of stuff at Gilgal. So with Saul now firmly established as king, Samuel's role as, as a judge started decreasing. You know, his role just kind of went away. So, you know, at first he, he kind of offered, uh, he, he kind of gives a, the speech, this ending speech, okay? And he first offered to make restitution to anyone he had wronged. And he wished he could bring, uh, and, and all who wished to bring um, claims, you know, before the king, and Samuel would make everything right, okay? And then, uh, but the people affirmed Samuel's constant faithfulness. They're like, okay, this is good. And then Samuel told the people that, that they had sinned against God by asking for a king, but God had remained, you know, faithful to the covenant whereas the Israelites would fail from time to time and over and over. And asking for a king was wrong, he told them, because it wasn't yet God's plan. And then the people ask, um, uh, th then he said, you, you ask with the wrong motives, forgetting, that the Lord, uh, forgetting the Lord and seeking a, a quick solution to the problems. How many of us love quick solutions? You know what I'm saying? We all want it to just be resolved. We don't want it to take time. So, you know, uh, they sinned. God could, would forgive them if they repented. But, of course, they didn't push their idols aside. They didn't trust God. Uh, and Samuel promised to continue to pray for them and basically told them, if you, your evil ways persist, not even a king will save you from God's judgment. Okay? So he was kind of warning them. And then... Saul, starting in chapter 13 through 15, you start to see him revealing his heart, okay? So um, we, we see that he was an effective military leader. He enjoyed some successes against the Philistines and secured the borders by defeating Moab and uh, Ammon and Eden and uh, Syria. But even though he looked like a good king, his heart often betrayed him. His attitude in First Samuel chapter 13 through 15 it kind of shows us in three different instances what was going on. First of all, Saul kind of usurped the priestly role when it served his purposes. When he was supposed to be waiting on God and going to the priest to get God's blessing about something, he was like, okay, 
well, let's just do this before they get here, you know, and he would just go in and he would take over the priestly role, which he wasn't, um, he wasn't allowed to do that. Uh, he offered a sacrifice himself to boost the people's morale. And then Samuel arrives and told Saul that God would take the kingdom from him and the Lord would choose the next king because, you know, based on the, on the next king's heart, not because he looked like a king. You know, he had this grand stature. He was a head foot taller than anybody else that he would look at the heart. And this is what he did. So that was the first thing that kind of showed his heart. The second one is he, he made a rash oath and later tried to apply it in a foolish way. Uh, the people uh, needed a, a strength to, to fight their enemies. And Saul pronounced a curse against anyone who ate before Israel won total victory. Okay, now do you ever go out to the army and say, hey, guys, before the battle, don't eat. No, you're going to need strength, right? You, you want to, that in you. So uh, the people's intense hunger led them to sin because in the end, they st- when they finally won the battle, they went out and they just started cutting meat and started eating it raw. Well, okay, God had certain rules about what meat you can eat and how you can eat and all this kind of stuff. Um, a lot of it had to do with health reasons, right? Even though, um, you know, many of these things we find out the rules that God set out about certain uh, types of food was because if you didn't cook it a certain way, you get sick, right? I mean, uh, who, every, some people love their steak like red, 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 raw, right? Uh, you know, not, don't give it to me raw. Some people like that. But you can get sick from that if you're not careful. And um, another thing that happened here is Saul discovered that Jonathan, he didn't hear the curse. He didn't hear what was going on. He had eaten some honey that day and he resolved that Jonathan, his own son, should die because he broke this rule. Now, fortunately, the people stopped that from happening, right? Um, if you read the scriptures, you find that out. The third thing that Saul did, he failed to follow God's const- uh, instructions concerning the Amalekites. Remember the Amalekites from way back when uh, Israelites were coming out of Egypt? They were in the back killing the old people, the injured people, anybody who was lagging behind, and they were stealing from the Israelites, and they were killing all those people. And God, uh, God said, uh, one of these days I'm going to deal with all of you, and you're, we're going to, every man, woman, child, beast from your, you know, your, uh, your, um, what's the term, your clan or whatever is going to be, oh, I'm going to wipe you out. And so then when Saul went and defeated the, uh, the Malachites, God said, destroy them all. But what did he do? He kept the best to sacrifice to God, right? You know, that's how he presented it. And, God, you know, Samuel came and confronted him and the, the prophet received uh, from the king the excuses the the people spared the best sheep and, and oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but the rest we utterly destroyed. We did most of what you asked us to do, you know. And then I did obey the voice of the Lord, but the people didn't. You know, they're the ones. You know, so he's trying to pawn it off. So Samuel's uh, reply was, because you've rejected the word of the Lord, uh, he has also rejected you from being king <coughs> uh, because Saul had this half-hearted repentance thing going on, uh, but it was too late. So Samuel left Gilgal 
over, uh, you know, grieving over Saul and uh, because Saul had disgraced the Lord uh, in his office through his disobedience. So this gave rise to David's, um, uh, David's reign. And Saul kind of went down. And, and the next, you know, 15, 16 chapters right here, chapter 16 through 31. So in 1 Samuel 1, I mean, 2 and 3, we saw the, you know, the failure of Eli and his sons to serve the people faithfully. And it, you know, but it still didn't, you know, it still didn't uh, frustrate God's plans for the priesthood. God still had a plan of what was going on. Even though some were sinning, God was already raising somebody up to take that role. And that was Samuel. So we also see the same thing. Saul's failure did not mean God's defeat. God was already raising somebody up that would fulfill uh, what God wanted. So David is anointed in the introduction uh, really to Saul's court in chapter 16. The Lord sent Samuel to the house of Jesse in Bethlehem to find the, the one that he was supposed to anoint. And, uh, you know, the eight sons or the seven sons were there and they went through and he said, no, 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 no. And he goes, do you have any more sons? And he goes, oh, yeah, there's one more. And well, I mean, it couldn't be him. I mean, he's small. He's Rudy He's just, you know, this little guy. You don't want him. And Samuel said, bring him anyway. And of course, that was David. And he was chosen and he was anointed. Uh, two important things here. First, the Lord looked at David's heart, not his stature. Okay, He was a small little guy. Saul looked like a king, but David's heart was right before God compared to Saul. Now, David, did he sin? Well, yeah, big sins. Uh, we'll see. We'll talk about some of that. But he always came back to the Lord because his heart followed the Lord. Even today, God uses all kinds of people, uh, but most of all, He uses people whose heart is right for Him. There's sometimes we're sitting there going, well, that looks like a leader. That doesn't look like the leader. Yet God might use that person much more than that other person because it's not about how you look, not about how you speak. It's not about how you come across. It's about the heart that is there. So second part is even though Samuel anointed David, he didn't immediately receive the kingship. Anybody know how many years it took? What's God's perfect number? How many years? Seven years before he became king over Israel. Imagine that, waiting seven years after you've been anointed, you're going to know, you already know you're going to be king. So during this time, God withdrew his spirit from Saul. So the king you know, no longer had God's enabling power to lead Israel. And it says that God sent an evil spirit to, uh, to afflict him. Um, and, you know, can an evil spirit come from the Lord? <laughs> you know, it's, so it's part of that's translation. Part of it, we don't quite understand exactly what it means. It's not like God called up one of Satan's minions and said, go, you know, God could have said, hey, have at him like he did with Job. You know, um, we're not quite sure all the ins and outs of that, but we should probably understand the expression evil spirit from the Lord in kind of one or two ways. First, the Lord brought the evil spirit on Saul's judgment for Saul's rebellion against him. And God sometimes does discipline his children for their action. And the spirit may have been Saul's discipline, this, this evil spirit. Second, God may have intended the evil spirit to kind of serve as a redemptive value. 
other words, what's, what's the purpose of discipline? To change the action, right? So if God is disciplining Saul, the idea is he wants him to change the way he's been doing stuff. And if he changes his way, God may turn around and just bless him, you know, phenomenally. But if he continues down the road of destruction, what happens? Destruction. Okay, so that that discipline uh, a lot of times is trying to get people to turn back to God. So at any rate, God uses the evil spirit uh, for another purpose to introduce David to the royal court. Saul is kind of wigged out and they go, hey, there's this guy that plays really good music. Tyler, bring him in. I mean, uh, you know, and uh, and they bring in David and his soothing music seems to ease, you know, Saul's mind of this this troubled spirit, which is kind of interesting because the anointing is on David now. So where God goes, it eases the minds of people. Right. And so we kind of see in this and God's you know, purposes uh, continue to move forward. And we see this in David's victory over Goliath in chapter 17. The Philistines had pushed eastward um, from Ekron and Gath coming off the coast, going toward Israel, the Elah Valley. Um, I would show you a picture of it. Uh, I have pictures of it, but literally it's a hill and it goes down. And there's a valley that's farmed, and there's a little brook that runs through there. And I have the, the pebble that killed Goliath from that brook. Um, and on the other side, another hill that goes back up, and you have high country, okay? When I say hill, I'm talking about a hill. I'm not talking about mountain, okay? Uh, in fact, when we moved here from Texas, because all we have is hills, and then we moved out to the Bay Area. We're driving through those hills that split San Francisco, the, you know, from the other side. And I'm like, wow, those are big mountains. And somebody looked at me and goes, those aren't mountains. Those are hills. Mountains are there, <laughs> you know, and you can see them from miles and miles and miles. These are little bitty hills. And that's what Israel, I mean, it was kind of like a hill. And you just have this valley. Um, and at this point, Goliath, the Philistine giant, issued a, a challenge. Come out and fight me. If anyone you, you guys can, can beat me, then we, will, we as the Philistines will serve Israel. And of course, that went back and forth, back and forth for like 40 days. David showed up and he got mad. Now, why did David get mad? Well, yeah. Nobody would fight. Well, nobody would fight. But, but he was also what? The Philistine guy was what? Goliath. He was after God. He was blaspheming God. He was saying all these wicked things about God. And David's like, and you're right, Brandon. He's like, David's like, why? no, no, no. This is our God, and we're not going to stand for this. I'm not going to let him say these things. And he goes out, and he's like, somebody's got to fight these guys. And if you're not going to do it, I'm going to do it. And they're all like, okay, try on Saul's, uh, uh, you know, uh, shield and you know try to carry all that and david tried to put it on it's all huge and he's like i can't do this and he just goes out and gets some rocks and he walks out there and he defeats goliath and the story of david and goliath kind of illustrate three important i think spiritual um points or principles if you want to call it one is we should have can we should be more concerned about god's honor than our honor Okay, we're too focused on ourselves, our little world. Everything revolves around us and what we do. But David was very concerned about God's honor. He was not willing to walk away from that valley with Goliath taunting the armies of the living God. He was like, no, not going to do that. 
Then secondly, God's past faithfulness in our lives should encourage us to take more steps of faith. David had the courage to fight Goliath. Why? Because David had already done other battles, right? Remember, David uh, you know, killed a lion and killed, I think, a bear also at, at some point in his life when he was out there taking care of the, the goats and stuff. All these little battles in our life add up. And if we remain faithful to God, then when we hit that big battle time, we're not overwhelmed, are we? Why? Because God has already been faithful through all the stuff if we recognize God's faithfulness all the way through. So we get to that point and David's like, I can do this. So, you know, when we, and the third point is when we face battles that look impossible, we need to remember that the battle is the Lord's. It's not our battle. David fought Goliath, but he was just merely God's instrument in defeating Goliath. I think anybody else could have done the same thing if they had chosen to, if they stood up for what was right uh, for the Lord. But God knew that no one would, and he brought his servant David in there because the battle was really between Goliath and the Lord, not between David and Goliath. So, you know, you know possibly the most important part of the story is that it reveals David's heart. God said he would choose Israel's next king according to his heart. We saw that in chapter, if you read chapter 13 and chapter 16. And God did so with David. So, you know, then, then of course, David struggles with Saul's, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> Saul's, uh, uh, you know, his waning years of being in charge of going, why, why am I, you know, why, why am I going to be replaced and so forth? So after, after the victory over Goliath, David became Saul's leading military man. And, and you heard the term of, you know, uh, David is, or Saul's killed his thousands and, and David has killed his what? Tens of thousands. Okay. So David became the leading deal and this jealousy arose up uh, with all this. So there, there's, there's kind of five events, and let me go through them quickly because I know we're running out of time. But um, it kind of showed the struggle. First, David and Saul's uh, son, Jonathan, they became really good friends, and this caused a major problem between Jonathan and David. I mean, in, uh, I mean Saul and David. Secondly, Saul became fanatical in his determination to kill David. He wanted to kill David badly. His actions was like a desperate man. He started throwing um, spears at David and all this kind of stuff. Third, David took extreme measures to prove his loyalty uh, to Saul. You know what? I have these. Ah, I do have it on that. Okay. So then, um, so we see his extreme loyalty to Saul. Um, Saul, you know, at one point Saul went to relieve himself went to use the bathroom <laughs> and he laid down for a nap and David went in and cut a tassel off and of his robe. And you guys will read this story and so forth. But, but, uh, uh, basically David was saying, I could have killed you if I wanted to, but I didn't. Now he regretted. He did that later on. He felt remorse about that. And on another occasion, David's, uh, David and his nephew Abishai sneaked into Saul's camp uh, while the you know the king's army was sleeping, and they took Saul's spear and his water jug to prove that they could get that close to him, um, but uh, but they retreated. And David, uh, kind of ironic, he was trying to show his loyalty. I could have killed you again, but I didn't. And then fourth, 
David met and eventually uh, married Abigail, uh, which was a whole another thing. Um, she was married until uh, you know until uh, he was uh, he was killed, and then the, uh, then David took him took Abigail as his wife. Uh, I won't go into all the nuances there, but but lastly, David utterly frustrated with Saul joined the Philistines. He basically was even just being chased and chasing. Finally said, let me go join the Philistines. Maybe I'll get some sleep at night uh, during this time. And, uh, and they didn't trust him. And then the, there was a, a, a battle where the Philistines were coming up against Saul. And David was supposed to fight with them uh, against Saul. And basically they said, you know what? You need to set this one out. We don't really trust you. The king, um, the king or uh, one of the guys did trust him, but the leadership did not <clears throat> so David set out of it, which is kind of uh, really helped David in the end, because we see Dave, uh, Saul's final battle, um, and that's chapter 28 through 31. And Saul prepared for the battle against the Philistines. He sought spiritual guidance. He inquired of the Lord. The Lord didn't answer him, so he became desperate. He, he basically disguised himself and slipped out, um, uh, uh, you know, slipped around the Philistine camp uh, to Endor where he found a medium, somebody who spoke to the spirits. You know, and if you remember, if you've read this before, he told everybody that this was against the law. You shouldn't be out there speaking spirits. And, you know, we dabble in the, uh, well, I say we, I don't. Um, but, you know, let me, read my, let me read my horoscope, you know, and all these. These things lead back to things that are not of God, okay? And the same thing, palm reading or anything like that, and especially trying to contact dead ancestors and stuff like that. Apparently, it can happen. Samuel actually comes back from this medium. This medium, you know, tries to contact Samuel. Samuel comes back and Samuel goes, what are you doing, Saul? You know, um, and all that happened. So Samuel announces his final judgment against Saul, that Saul would die in battle with the Philistines the next day. Now, do you think Saul would do what? I ain't going to no battle. <laughs> Forget that, you know. But what does he do? He goes out and fights. So it's what happened. And um, he was killed. His son was killed. And they, they literally nailed them up to the gate of Bet Shan, uh, where I, th I showed you a little earlier. They literally nailed him to the outside walls of the gate to say, Look who we defeated, the king of the Israelites. Now, they didn't know all the interplay. They didn't know that David was going to become king and be a phenomenal king, and that God's anointing was on him. They just knew that they won. They're like, yeah, I'm, I'm good, aren't I? You know. So then the, um, those that uh, had uh, blood ties to Saul, um, they went out and got the, bo uh, the bodies. They snuck up there, got the bodies, gave them a proper burial, and, and so the, the life of Israel's first king really came to a, a tragic end. And uh, Saul has died. And the prophet Samuel is anointed king, as, or anointed David as the next king. And Saul looked like he would have made a great king, but he didn't, right? Looks can be deceiving. David didn't look like he would make a great king at all, but he ended up being a great king. Okay? 
not the most phenomenal. I mean, we, we raised David up on a pedestal, but certainly he made a lot of mistakes along the way, right? That's why we shouldn't raise people up on pedestals. But at the same time, David's life, and we'll talk about this next week, always going back to God. I really screwed up on this one. Lord, forgive me. And he did it like it wasn't just a, oh, forgive me, sorry. You know, uh, that, that word loses its meaning after we say it so many times. He really was repentant and he turned from his ways and he tried not to do that sin again. But Israel's struggle between this theocracy and a monarchy kind of raises another question for us. Whose authority do we submit to? I mean, politics enters everything. And we try really hard to keep politics out of the church, especially during the last 15, 20 years. I mean, it's just gotten so bad because we follow people instead of following the Lord. And anytime we follow people, unless they're leading us to the Lord, it's never going to end well. You know what I'm saying? Uh, You know, Paul said in the New Testament, follow me because I'm following the Lord. He wasn't saying, follow me because I'm just such a great spiritual guy that, that wrote a third of the New Testament. Or, you know, he wasn't saying that. He's saying, follow me because I'm following God. And if I, never, if I stop following God, stop following me. That's, how, that's the attitude that he had. Now, he didn't write those exact words. So don't go looking for it and go, well, yeah, it wasn't there. But he did say, follow me because I follow God, okay? Um, but, you know, what authority do we, do we submit to? And who is king over our life? That's where it should be. Who is the ultimate king over us? And that's the question that we began with. Who am I? We end with who am I and who do I follow? So that's what we have to decide. And we'll talk about more uh, David next week. And I can't believe I got through all my notes. It's a miracle. (laughs) I did skip some, but not too much. So Um, any questions? Okay, well, I think, yeah. So, um, I know you mentioned a few minutes ago that there's a seven-year gap between when David was anointed and when he actually became king. Do you think that God made him aware that there would be that long of a gap after he was anointed, or? I'm trying to think. I don't, I don't think so. I don't think. Was he just waiting anxiously for it? You know what I mean? Yeah, he was just waiting for it, and, and, you know, there were, I, I could imagine the thoughts going through his head. Well, do I just kill Saul and take over? You know, should I do that? Should I not do that? I mean, he, he ran away with his men he, he, uh, down in En Gedi. Some of the caves were huge. He, he had a lot of his men hiding and all this kind of stuff. He was still fighting for Israel. He still went out and fought battles for Israel during that time as he was running from Saul and all that. But I, you know, God, I, don't, I don't remember as my, it through my teaching of Samuel that it, that it ever said that David knew that he was going to have to wait a certain period of time. Um, do you remember? Didn't he go back to him tending the sheep right at the very beginning, like he did for the Yeah. And he goes right back out in the field? Right, until he's called into to Saul's court. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, we can't go in depth into it. I, I need to go back and teach First Samuel again. I taught First Samuel when I first got here, uh, and I love that book. Um, there's a lot of great lessons in that. Uh, but. Uh, and he didn't become king. Even when he started to become king, it like took a while for everybody, all the tribes to like. Right. Because they were still split, you know, with Saul and all that kind of stuff. You know, there were still some that that 
wanted to follow Saul, but then Saul died. And they're like, their allegiance wasn't totally with David yet. David had to prove himself to get some of those tribes to come under his tutelage in a sense. No, no. I'm sure and, and there's so many people who had their minds said, well, Saul looks like a king. He's a great mighty warrior and leader. And David's just his puny little shepherd boy. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Why should we follow this guy? Yet his, yet David was slowly becoming. I mean, they had songs already written by David uh, about David before he became king. So there was this natural ability of going, okay, yeah, but I mean, Saul looked like king, but look at what David's done. So there was this natural pull that I think that the God was providing for people to be pulled toward that direction, but it wasn't an instant thing. Uh, it's like, um, I know that the church that uh, Lisa grew up in uh, started literally, I mean, it's one of those phenomenal stories where they split off from it. Uh, they didn't split in a bad way. The church said, hey, go plant another church in this part of Houston, and here's the seed money to do it, okay? So uh, we called him Brother John. He was their only pastor for... 50 years maybe maybe 55 i don't know i don't know how many years it was but they started it and he was the only pastor and they just handed over leadership to a new pastor and pastor john retired i mean and you know he he's he's up there in age now and stuff and he retired and he's purposely stepped back away from the church for a period of time to allow the new pastor to start over. But, but you know, anytime a new pastor comes in, you got some people going, Oh, I love this guy. And other people going, Oh, pastor John was much better, you know, and that, you know, you have those issues and, you know, transition of, of who's in charge of what and bringing in new people and all that. I mean, it can, it can be a fun time. Uh, let me just say, I went from a, you know, a church that I worked for. We went from, uh, two pastors on staff, uh, myself and the senior pastor to heaven when I left nine pastors. And that was a fun transition and about four different transition roles. And about the time we got to the ninth pastor, I was like, forget this, I'm done, you know, and uh, transitioned out of uh, that church and stuff because it can be a lot of a lot of ups and downs in that time. And I'm sure that David had a lot of that stuff. So we'll probably hit some of that next week. Uh, any other questions? Yes. Everybody else may know, but I don't. So what is it about the number seven in the Bible? Um, yeah, it, it, that's the number that represents God. He rested on the seventh day. Beyond that, it's like, the, it's like 40 weeks. 40 weeks is all over throughout the scriptures. And 40 days, the number 40. But can you pinpoint to say this is exact the reason why 40 is important? Not really. We just know it's important. We know that God rested on the seventh day. Uh, the weeks are divided into seven and all these things. Man's number is six. God's number is seven. It, it, it kind of means perfection because God rested. It was done. It was beautiful. It was, you know, finished and, and all that. So that's, uh, other than that, we don't know why. I'm sure you could find somebody that can expound upon that and all that. But really, it boils down to we don't know. Started, uh, my thing is that on the first of the year, I'm going to read the Bible from cover to cover. Mm -hmm. And I was just doing in Genesis with, uh, with Joshua and Rebecca. Yeah. yeah. And he promised the father that he would work for him for seven years. Mm -hmm. he would give it, and then he worked seven more years. And he blessed them seven times 70 or something. Or Jacob and, and Jacob, Rebecca. Jacob, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, then he said the seven years for the mm -hmm. Yeah, my mom actually, 
No, I was going to say that the 40 year or the 40, the number 40, my mom actually asked me that question last year during Christmas when we visited. Like she asked me, uh, why is this so important? Because they were talking about it in Sunday school. So, yeah. yeah I had a feeling it had something to do with the seven days to create. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. mm-hmm. No, I mean, I thought, didn't they list 40 generations? And, am I wrong about that, Matthew? I'd have to go back and count, but yeah, there's been a couple of times where it's like 40 different generations are in there, and yeah, mm-hmm, yep. For the for. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the 40, 40, and 40 or something to that effect. And yeah, it's amazing the the number, uh, you know, because each Hebrew letter has a number associated to it. And there's even um, there's even a couple of books called the Biblical Code or something like that um, that kind of does a lot of stuff. And it gets very mystical. And I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's wrong um, because I just don't know. It's kind of some interesting stuff when it comes to numbers, because each, each Israel, I mean, each Hebrew letter has a number associated with it and all that kind of stuff. But I don't know how far we can really take that because again, it gets into these things where it's endless arguments because there's no correct answer. It's like the end times. We don't understand enough about the end times to go, this is exactly what it is. This is exactly how it happens. This is when it happens and da, 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 da. We can't do that because you can get into endless arguments because there's so many nuances that we don't understand on that, that God has not revealed to us for some reason. So, and that's why we try not to get in these endless arguments, but there are some people that just love to argue about that stuff. So, yeah. So stay away from them. <laughs> not completely. Love them, but don't enter into it. So, um, any other questions? Good questions tonight. So, well, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for men like Saul and men like David, that uh, the good things and the bad things are written about them in, the, in your scriptures. Uh, may we take to heart the things that we can learn off of them and how following you is so important and, and our heart being about the things that, that you're about and it not be about ourselves and our own little world and our own desires, that we be about your desires in this world, that we be your light and your salt on this earth. Uh, again, I thank you for allowing us to come together and, and worship, your, uh, worship you and to study your scriptures. In your loving name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You guys have a great night.